Welcome back, everyone. Thanks for joining us again here on the Sound Logic Podcast. And today we're discussing album number 87 on Rolling Stone Magazine's Top 500 Greatest Albums list. This is Bitches Brew by Miles Davis. If you know anything about Mike and I, you know that we enjoy quality craft beer. And uh, something I knew from being a fan of Dogfish Head was that back in the day, Bitches Brew was a beer that they made, inspired by Miles Davis. So knowing that this episode was on the horizon, I asked around to some fellow beer nerds and said, hey, does anyone know where I could get a bottle of Bitches Brew? Well, that was at the point where I realized it's been discontinued. They no longer make it. But uh, one of my disc golfing buddies said actually i've got a uh, friend who's got a massive beer seller he's a fan of dogfish head and he collects stuff i bet he's got some let me get in touch <laughs> before i know it he's sending me a picture with multiple bottles of bitches brew and said how many do you want and i was like whoa this is amazing <laughs> uh how much does he want for it and he's like no 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 he's just a fan of jazz uh and a fan of uh, anyone talking about music a trumpet player and uh <laughs> He, he just wants you to have it for the podcast. So uh, all that said, we get yeah. to hang out with Nick Rayi here tonight. Uh, Nick is an officer, a police officer here in uh, central Pennsylvania and a huge beer nerd. He's actually sitting in his beer cellar right now as we record. Um, did I get that right that you play trumpet as well, Nick? Yeah, yeah, that's, that's true. I, I actually still play in uh, for the military. A lot okay. of people don't know the... Uh, Pennsylvania Army National Guard has its own band. No so way. I've been in the military uh, a little over 20 years now, playing in the band for most of it. Uh, brief stint as a machine gunner in a helicopter in Iraq. But other than that, playing the trumpet for uh, probably 19 of the 20 years. So Wow. Wow. And a fan of jazz and a fan of this album. Is that all fair to say? Uh, it's fair to say that I'm a fan of jazz. Um, you know, I think you can't really be a trumpet player without at least knowing a little bit about jazz. Um, I actually, uh, when I was in high school, I took a lesson with Maynard Ferguson. Uh, you may or may not know him, but he's of uh, Rocky fame, the Gonna Fly Now, the theme from Rocky. That was him and his band. So just a screamer. Huh. No way. <laughs> yeah. So I had the privilege of sitting down and taking a private lesson with him uh, when I was in high school. But uh, this is the first time I've ever listened to this album. Um, okay. So to say I'm a fan of this album, it was interesting. It was definitely <laughs> interesting. Listen, very different. Uh, this is definitely more like a jazz fusion kind of deal. Uh, it was interesting. So uh, you passed on a couple bottles. I, I took those bottles up with me at Christmas time and uh, sat at Mike's kitchen table with a good friend of ours. We put Bitches Brew on the record and. Uh, cracked open these beers um dogfish head uh talks about a sort of the, like being inspired by the album led to the to the beer for them um understanding that kind of bitches brew uh, he says there's a spirit of innovation of creativity and of individuality that's at the core of miles's music um, and that sort of went, went in then to creating a beer that sort of goes along with it. So it's this like 
really intense, um, dark, but not just like roasty. It's got a whole bunch of different flavors going on and uh, a lot of dissonance, a lot of like going in multiple directions. <laughs> and uh, so, so yeah, my, uh, we've got the first taste of the beer and then the first taste of the album. And it was just like, whoa, there's a lot going on here. Uh, there were a couple points, Mike, I seem to remember where we were just like, what we got to stop here and just like count the senses that we're experiencing like what not only is the music kind of going all different directions this beer is too <laughs> so i want to say thanks nick for for <laughs> providing that for us that uh, that opportunity um really really cool i guess having bitches brew in your collection you would have experienced the uh, beer a couple times before ever putting on the album yeah, I, I had it when it was it's still in regular rotation. I've always really enjoyed it, so I always snatched some up when they released it, and you know, just like tucked it away, sock a few away for a rainy day, and you know, you never know when it's going to come out. And here we go, here we go. And work. <laughs> when did, when did it stop? Do you know? Uh, the last, I think the probably the ones that I gave you were the last year they did it. That was okay. twenty eighteen. I don't know that they did it after that. Okay, uh, but yeah. All right. Well, I've got a uh, barrel-aged stout that I brewed myself here tonight. Uh, it's not quite as complex as Bitches Brew, but it's 12% and we've got a lot going on. So I'm, in, I'm enjoying uh, sipping it away. <laughs> Cheers. Yeah. Um, we've got uh, some interesting stuff to talk about. Uh, we, I don't know if it sounds different for our regular listeners, but our regular recording method didn't work. We're, we're switching to Zoom tonight. So if we happen to talk over each other... Um, editing might be a little bit different but i think we'll still get something really good out of this and thanks nick for being here with us and for taking the time no problem thanks for having me what do you think should we dive into some details i think it's appropriate to do that now details 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 so bitches brew was released uh, March 30th, 1970, so almost uh, from the time this is coming out, about 53 years ago. Um, this is, according to the list I looked at, Davis's 42nd studio album. <laughs> That's amazing. <laughs> In about, about 20 years. I think his first release was in 1951, so that's an average of more than two a year i don't even know what to say about that <laughs> um all tracks composed and led by miles davis we might get into that a little bit more what that means um charted not great 71 in the uk 35 in the us uh and number four on the billboard r&b charts so not even number one on the r&b chart eventually it has sold a million copies in the U.S. I think worldwide, maybe 1.1 million. So still not astronomical numbers. Pretty good for a, a fusion jazz album, I, I would say. <laughs> um, so th this is a follow-up album to the previous album, which was called uh, In a Silent Way from 69. And it marked his continuing experimentation with uh, electric instruments that he had featured on that album. So this is the beginning of what you would call his electric period or, or just him just becoming more electric you hear that with with some of the the recording stuff the echoes electric guitar keyboards it's all there uh in 1976 so six years after it came out became davis's first gold album be certified by the recording industry association of america so when gold's in six years 
Uh, it also pioneered the the application of the studio itself as a musical instrument. So Miles and his producer, Teo Machero, I hope I'm saying that right, or close, uh, used the recording studio in radical new ways using special effects, tape loops, tape delays, reverb chambers, and echo effects. Things that had not been used much at all and certainly not in traditional jazz music. Um, in 1971, it won the Grammy Award for Best Large Jazz Ensemble Album. Um, and as usual with Davis recording sessions during this period, tracks were recorded in sections, which I don't even know how you do that with... <laughs> there's no really any breaks. <laughs> but uh, so Davis gave a few instructions ahead of time, you know, a tempo count, a few chords or a hint of a melody, suggestions to a mood or tone. And uh, Miles Davis liked to work this way. He thought it forced musicians to pay close attention to one another, to their own performances, uh, or to his own cues, which could change at any moment. Uh, and I think it's in the title track that you can hear at different points him shouting different instructions or, or snapping, clapping out a, a tie change or saying, okay, this, you know, do this now. They've left some of that in, which is really cool. Um, so that that's kind of... It's just a bit of background on how yeah. they made it. Um, they, I was reading that they, uh, he rented some studio space for the week before they recorded. So I think recording was about three days. But before that, he rented space for a week and just three hours a day. It wasn't a marathon. From 10 a.m. to 1 p.m. every day, the group assembled in the studio. No, like he was a pretty well-known figure but no media allowed in no photographers nothing just the band just the producer they'd sit in a semicircle with miles at the middle um and he directed them and he was very much the director orchestrator of this whole thing even though he gave everyone very much free range to work within the loose parameters he set he was still very much in charge and i think in general and I'm not a Miles Davis expert, but, you know, he he was creative but also had a pretty big ego and, you know, was always trying to push the envelope. But at the same time, he's giving people free reign to experiment and improvise on the fly within kind of this loose framework and very loose framework that he's given. And then you get this kind of brilliant <laughs> masterpiece, as someone yeah. call it. Um, out of it. it really really interesting it just still blows my mind that you can make something cohesive in that environment obviously yeah. you can Nick I, I'm curious of your impressions you know as, as a jazz enthusiast as a trumpet player um, and I assume somewhat familiar with some of Miles' stuff how do you feel about about this concept and and we're kind of jumping right into the to the meat the, the meat and bones of this music if you're not familiar with it you need to go check it out it's it's different than conventional jazz and conventional music, really. Uh, how yeah, do you feel it's about this? not for this? the faint of heart, either. That's for sure. <laughs> Someone who's not really uh, big into jazz, man, it is a challenge to just dive in. But that's a great question, Mike. I'd love to hear. Well, well, the question is, is, Nick, how do you feel in listening to this about this idea of um, a very loose structure uh, and allowing everyone to do their own thing, especially you know, you're in, in in a military band. You know, marching music is extremely structured, extremely rigorous. 
um, everybody, you know, there's no improvisation at all, and this music is the opposite. So I'm just curious at your take on all that, listening to this. Yeah, and so that's a great question, and one of the things I will kind of highlight just to shed some light on what the military bands do is that we do all the typical march stuff for sure um, and the big ceremonies, but we also have a jazz ensemble that we all play in, so... Uh, but it's more the typical big band era stuff or the more, yeah, not this, right? <laughs> the standards. Uh, standards. We're not doing any like 20 minute odysseys into like, <laughs> wild stuff. Um, but but uh, so we do, there is room for improv for sure. Cool. Uh, there's a bunch of other little smaller ensembles that we break out into where there is a lot of improv. So it's not something that's totally foreign in the military band world. Okay. Um, but it's nothing like this. But I, I think the structure and the most impressive thing for me to listen to um, in this album is just that loose, bare-bones framework of just saying, hey, this is an idea and we're going to go. And that's just such a, I think, testament to the skill of the musicians in the room. And this year, you know, I started doing some digging into the history of the album after you asked me to be on and I listened to it for the first time and just the sheer number of musicians involved yeah. is staggering and the yeah. fact that um, it was recorded over the course of three days which is crazy and, and you know modern times albums it's unheard of to record an album in three days yeah. yeah and I think it was a span of just a few hours a day too so that's just it's such a testament to the skill level of all the the musicians in the room to be able to listen to one another listen to miles take cues from miles and kind of latch onto these you know kind of kernels of ideas for melodies or uh, a direction they want to take the song and just build upon it and build upon it and build upon it and play off each other it's it's really cool to listen to uh, a very famous quote from miles davis is i think when they were performing one night and he wasn't pleased with the band performance he said i don't i don't pay you to play what you know i pay you to play what you don't know <laughs> and um and that is like that is this he said he, he didn't want anything written down he didn't want a score he handed out you know very simple some chord progressions and maybe a few ideas here and there for different melodies and said as long as you work in this fr framework you do whatever you want and that to me I'm not even, I don't think that you could even call me an amateur musician. I've been, both Ben and I play different instruments, sing, have done things, understand music, but this is just so far beyond me to be able to have it come out as something even remotely cohesive. It's just fantastic um, and mind blowing. It's quite a journey to listen to. Yeah, absolutely. And anybody taking music lessons, learn your scales. Right. <laughs> that's that's what it all comes down to. There's, yeah. sc there's scales in this music. <laughs> <laughs> I'd um, love to talk before we get too deep in the music about the album cover because, um, okay. like the sort of experimental uh, category pushing beer and experimental category pushing album, this cover is really uh, trippy and stretching as well um it's also got some dissonance going on in it. um what, what do you guys think about this 
I think it's super interesting. Um, and one of the other things that I learned in and kind of reading up on this album to prepare for this after listening to it is just the pushback that there was just over using bitches in the name. Mm-hmm. You know, there's, yeah. There's a lot of pushback at that time, which makes sense. It was a mm-hmm. tend to be a far more conservative time. And people probably wouldn't bat an eye to that nowadays. <laughs> But, um, you know, there was a lot of pushback from the label and producers on even wanting to include that as the name. So it's just kind of bold choices all around the bright colors and, uh, you know, kind of trippy psychedelic feel to it, which is fitting with the music for sure. Mm. I found a quote from um, the artist. Uh, the The name is Malti Klarween, I think, a German artist, a surrealist painter. And uh, he uh, he seemed to, uh, I don't know, really be inspired by the album. He would listen to it uh, and then sort of paint, get inspired by it. And uh, um, he talks about, uh, while it's easy to see how the cover might represent dichotomies, it's really more about tandems and shared experiences, coupled with the acknowledgement that individual perspectives can create an otherworldly experience. So I don't know if that's like drawing on jazz specifically, but like, you know, it's it's easy to point to this as like one person's greatness, but that totally misses what you were saying, Nick, about just how many people were involved, what all is going on, and that it is a relationship when you come together to put something like this together. It's interesting that the album cover sort of reflects that too. Stay above the title, the Directions in Music by Miles Davis. Yeah. It's a tiny little byline just above the the title um mm-hmm. and and there's so much to me but really the the tandem the tension the you know the the one individual's hair going you know mer- merging with the sky I, it, it's it's absolutely brilliant fits with the music so well yeah that psychedelic feel a little bit uh, strong I, I, you know miles davis was i think uh very outspoken with his political views um uh, his racial views some uh, made uh, were, were quite controversial at times, and um, you know these strong, strong African figures on the front too would, would have been you know, very poignant at the time as well. Yeah. And and it's just very, it's all very striking. It's I I remember uh, my first time listening to this was just a few years ago. I just got my record player, and my buddy Rob, who's been on the show before said we got to go to my parents place they've got and my mom loves like r&b and jazz and all this stuff so okay so we went up and she had all these crates and we sat on the floor and his parents just sat there commenting on them oh we oh we saw them here and this and that and on every album and i we took a few one of them was vicious brew came back and threw it on and i had no idea what i was getting into (laughs) like not (laughs) not a clue but i remember seeing the album going whoa like just being drawn into like this this is surely to be something special like you ever see an album cover and go think like that inspires you to listen to it just by the art and that was what happened with me here and i mean it wasn't what i expected but i certainly wasn't disappointed by it being something fantastic (laughs) yeah yeah where do you want to go from here mike you're starting to get into some of how you experience um, the music. Should we talk about that for a little bit? Well, yeah, I mean, that that whole freeform thing, I, I mean, I found this 
I found this, you know, I, I'm into jazz. I, I do like jazz. I've listened to a lot of different types. I'm, I'm certainly not an expert by any means, but but I found it very challenging. And I found, I found myself a little lost when there wasn't as much um, consistent rhythm. When you get into Spanish key, you get more of a rock feel. And I found that one just easier too. But the other ones, you know, uh, Pharaoh's Dance and Bitches Brew, um, you know, I found myself a little lost and as much as there's improvisation and some of it's very free form, there's also structure there, but I felt that it was so just over my head, a lot of it in terms of technique and, um, you know, the, the chord structures, I know these guys are absolute masters. I mean, the late, uh, the late Chick Korea, um, I can't believe he's been gone almost two years. I feel like it was just last year, um, uh, on here and other guys on it. It's there. It, it's just so far beyond anything I regularly listen to, any conventional music, and um, I still don't even really know what what to make of it. It's something we interviewed um, uh, Jason Crane for a previous Miles Davis album, and and he said something which was really helpful because sometimes I found myself feeling inadequate when I listen to music like this, and he said the the best thing to do if you want to listen to jazz is is just know there's no password, there's no secret code, <laughs> you don't have to have you know a degree or or a certification or be played for this many years you just you can just come and experience it and those who want to say that are just trying to gatekeep and keep it for themselves and i i kept trying to tell that to myself when i listened to this because i felt myself just being lost and going i don't understand this I'm trying to come back to not trying to understand it just trying to experience it I say that, but still, it was hard. <laughs> it still was cha- it, it was challenging, it, and and I I feel lost when I can't find a melody or I can't find a rhythm to grab onto. Um, so I think personally, I would need some more time with this. I need to listen to this a few more times to really just find a place where I'm comfortable, just allowing it to wash over me. Um, even as background music, I found it distracting because there's so many things that kind of like like a like a pin pricking you uh, when you're not <laughs> expecting it like this this you know random note that doesn't fit any chord at all yeah. um it was so that that's kind of my take on it in a nutshell like like i said the most comfortable tunes for me were the ones that that slide closer to conventional rhythms and conventional uh, melodies but but other than that it, it was very challenging i guess that's the best way i can put it makes me think of a beer culture too right like craft beer nerds can be gatekeepers as well (laughs) Um, (laughs) and yeah and and like turn their nose up at the people who enjoy an easy drinking uh you know bud light or something like that uh it's like that's not real beer um that's not real jazz unless you can't find the melody or can't find the time right (laughs) um and yeah you're right there is something really profound about that quote from Jason that you you know you really should be able to find yourself in music in great music especially um, even if you don't understand it you should be able to um, feel something resonate with it and uh, I think I think what this music does for me is it reminds me of how rooted and grounded I am in the things that I like when I get face to face with something like this that is so far outside that I almost don't know what to do with it. And I feel I feel like somewhat conservative or traditional in that. Like, oh, I, I am fairly uh, committed to the things that I like. I'm not as open-minded or as experimental as I sometimes think of myself um, when I'm challenged by something like this. And 
it makes me sort of reevaluate, you know, okay, well, what is it about the other albums that I, you know, I can remember the, the sort of needle drop on, uh, Stevie Wonder's inner visions and just like immediately just feeling like, Oh, I'm home. This is my music. How have I been missing this my whole life? It just like grabbed me right away. And this, mm. I, you know, I'd, I'd be like, Oh, we're still in track one. How long has this been playing? You know, what? I still don't know where I am. What, what is going on? Uh, it's, it's discombobulating, I guess. And, right. Right. And, and why is that? And why is some music do that to me? And why not others? Um, and I guess a, a moment to pause a little bit to, to be, to slow down a little bit and think, you know, we're all different. Uh, we're all going to experience things differently and uh, not to take it too seriously when I think I know what is great uh, um, compared to someone else. Now, that's a lot of rambling by two guys who don't really know what they're talking about. Nick, do you have anything to add there? <laughs> well, hey, listen, I am by no means any type of a jazz expert in any way. Um, but I, I would agree completely. But I think it's for good reason. You know, like there's a reason that 95% of the music ever made follows a pretty similar structure, right? Like it's easily yeah. digestible and people enjoy it. Like mm -hmm. so people are, it, it's easier to write, it's easier to listen to. That's what people want to hear. So um, yeah. I think there's no shame in saying, hey, we're all kind of in this little it's not really a bubble because it's a pretty huge bubble right of the same song structures loosely you know you, you know there's a big difference between like pink floyd and taylor swift but you know it's all still in that same wheelhouse of like a very uh you know there, there's a melody there there's a progression yeah. of the song there's a clear beginning there's a clear chorus there's a clear you know so um this is just this is different and um I don't think there's anything wrong with not knowing how to feel about it, right? Yeah. Um, I think that's kind of the point. I think that's why Miles and, and these guys did this. Is and, and I would be willing to bet that it was never, you know, Pharaoh's Dance was never performed the same way twice. I guarantee you. Like, it's never no. when they were out playing live somewhere and they're like, hey, we're going to do Pharaoh's Dance. It's a totally different song. You'd never mm -hmm. probably... You could love this album and probably not recognize it here in Atlanta. <laughs> um, because, that's, I mean, that's just the nature of what they were doing. Everything, it was new and different every time, however yeah. they were feeling and however they wanted to play. And, um, you know, you keep that loose framework, but, but things are constantly changing and evolving based off who you're playing with. So for me, it was, I, I approached it less of like this, I need to understand what's happening and I just, kind of wanted to hear it for what it is and and let it do its thing right i, I don't know but <laughs> there's no better way to say it I just kind of yeah. listen to it and appreciate it for what it is i i will say one of my big takeaways from this was uh yeah i, I never gave the bass clarinet enough credit in <laughs> music because man the, the bass clarinet really just kind of they, they they rocked it in a lot of these tracks which was cool for, yeah. for that you didn't notice that but it's it's just a different it's it's apples to oranges comparing it to your, right. your straightforward music that's in 95% of, of what we listen to. I go back to, I think, the question that I asked when Jason was on the podcast talking about um, Miles, Davis previous, Miles Davis previously. And that is like, do we consider this a live album? Um, 
Mm. Is this a studio album? It sounds a lot to me like they're hanging out and jamming. And, uh, um, uh, you know, I, it, yeah, I, I, is it repeatable too? You know, there's, there's some questions in my head about, you know, is this, how, how do we categorize this? And I know jazz is always different, but, um, <laughs> well, I, I think the, the big difference there is improvisation can be quote, like a live performance, but you always have that opportunity to mm -hmm. tweak it in the studio. So there's mm -hmm. always that kind of fallback safety safeguard, net. Yep. safety net, if you yep. will. You don't have that in a live performance. You're right. As soon as yep. the note comes out of your mouth, it's it's there forever. Whereas you always have the opportunity. Now I think that that Miles and many other musicians, and certainly in this album and these sessions, were very true to to what happened mm -hmm. you know that I, I would expect especially since we know that they did this in only three days uh, there wouldn't have been much time to, to change it you know mm -hmm. I think that this yeah. is pretty much what they laid down I, and I didn't dive deep enough to see you know was this how many takes was each track and sorry for the yawning tonight how many um how many you know how many different times they how many different versions of each track i i, I don't know um i didn't go that far i'm gonna yeah. guess not too many um yeah yeah and i think that you know miles was you know he like i said he had a big ego and i think he was really always pushing to be the one to do the next thing to very uh you know introspective in that way just trying to he wasn't trying to please anybody or this is just my take on it i'm not this is not biographical <laughs> um yeah. just trying to to do something new for him and for the people around him and and just explore what this art form could be uh, mm -hmm. which certainly is what this does it just you know going from something like you know because it's the other album we've done on this podcast something like kind of blue to this yeah it's just totally like from another planet. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Another day is here and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. Do you think that there's something about the way that they were creating this that was um, striving for making people a little uncomfortable? I mean, I remember a few weeks back when we talked with Terry Watson about um, Sly and the Family Stones, there's a riot going on. And we were talking then about, you know, I kind of wish that I could feel a little bit more... Um, of a of a structure to some of these songs and terry sort of pushed back and said well i think what they're trying to get you to feel is that sense of there's a riot going on right like this is meant to make you just a little bit uncomfortable in this moment do you think that's what this style of experimental jazz is trying to do or is it just friends jamming and and pushing the boundaries of what they think music should be 
Yeah, I don't. I don't know. Uh, you know, I can't. I can't speak for for the headspace they were in when they recorded it. But I, I get the sense. You know, if I had to guess, I would say they would just they enjoyed pushing the boundaries, right? Doing yeah. doing different stuff, trying to expand. You know, change change the genre a little bit. You know, bring something new to jazz because you know his older stuff is all very you know in the pocket jazz kind of. Mm-hmm stuff um you know so this is a huge if you if you listen to um kind of blue and then listen to this it's like these aren't different people yeah <laughs> yeah it's yeah. not the same miles davis right no um right. so i i just think it's a natural progression like you see it in the beatles with sergeant pepper which i mean is not coincidentally same time period right so it's sort of this kind of zeitgeist of psychedelic psychedelics and and you know we're expanding our minds, man, and we're doing this <laughs> things, and so I I think it's it's fitting for the time period to to given whatever style you're in, whether it be the Beatles or Miles with jazz, kind of just kind of stretch those boundaries. Yeah, yeah. A question for you, Nick. Other than the the awesome bass clarinet, uh, was there something? Is there any moment or track uh, in particular that really stood out to you that you really enjoyed? So I, I'll agree with you, Mike. I really liked Spanish Key. Um, that yeah. was the one that stuck with me the most, and for the, all the reasons that you highlighted, I just think it had a really great groove to it. Um, just kind of sat nicely and cruised the whole time. It was just easier to listen to, um, not as challenging as you might say. But uh, I, I really enjoyed Spanish Key. Um, and uh, there's a, right before the end of, I think it was Bitches Brew, there's a moment where it just is total chaos probably like two minutes before the end of the song and that that really kind of caught my attention too it was just like absolute pandemonium everything's <laughs> everything just people shredding and uh and you're just like what is happening and then it just all it all just kind of drops out and it, it, it <laughs> be calm but that, that was a big moment for me too that's I wonder cool. if uh, since Spanish Key is uh, more than 17 minutes long, that'll just serve as our placeholder for our favorite tracks playlist here. Um, we'll add that one to it. And uh, yeah, come back and enjoy the rest of the album when you've got enough time. But we'll put that one on our SoundLogic favorites playlist. Yeah, if you're new, that's our playlist on Spotify. And we, we like to pick two tracks usually for every album. We let our guests <laughs> pick. Uh, this one, we've made an exception. Um, <laughs> yeah. Nick, uh, in terms of this this album is now over 50 years old and um it doesn't really sit in in you know the genre of regular pop music it's in fact quite far away but but if you think about the the relevancy of music or even just jazz music how do you think this is aged you know what is aged well what hasn't you know, would you have a couple of comments on that? Um, and, and this is a tricky one to do that because it's so different. But, but how do you feel about that? Yeah, I mean, I I think anytime you're talking about something that's so totally out in the left field, it's hard to say. You know, it was, it wasn't appropriate for the time then, really. Uh, <laughs> just, just, so to say where it would stand now, I think it would just be in the same boat, right? Like it's just this yeah. boundary pushing, and it has become kind of a forefather of a whole sub-genre of jazz music. Absolutely. It opened the door for the for the fusion stuff and all this, the, you know, the crazier stuff on the on the fringes of jazz. So um, I I think it it definitely holds up because it's 
you know, it, it's the it's the standard that opened the door for all this stuff. Mm, yeah. uh, but as far as things, you know, if you're trying to translate it to to something current, I would say John McLaughlin's probably the most likely because it's you know, it's like a four minute piece and it's straightforward and it's yeah. there's no yeah. in it. There's no, you know, Miles doesn't even play on it, so it's like right. <laughs> if you want to you want to compare it to to what would what would sit well in today, that's probably a you know just a shorter bite of music, easier to deal with, but. But I think the whole album probably would stand on its own today, just as it did uh, back when it first was released. Mm. Yeah, that, that's a and that's a tricky one. Usually, there's more connections we can tie to to pop music. But right. I guess for me, you know, in in the jazz world, this is still just a, a an absolute pillar. Uh, at least, yeah, at least in terms of the kind of the jazz fusion. But I think in jazz in general, this is. Uh, no pun intended a milestone <laughs> uh, that's a different album um uh, just just a, a a legendary album in the jazz world um but still yeah it was out there when it came out it's out there today um now this one might be tricky for you nick uh because it relates to the whole rolling stone list but this is number what do we say 85 87 uh, i lost 87 this is number 87 out of 500 um without having a ton of knowledge of, of necessarily of everything else on the list how do you feel about this being the 87th greatest album of all time does that does that make sense to you does it seem too high too low what do you think boy i mean it's hard to, hard for me to say i did a little bit of digging into the list um just so i could have somewhat of an informed <laughs> opinion on it and, and, and lists like this are always so tricky because it's oh yeah got to consider so many things um so it, I think if you wanted to to really call it for what it is, I I would say you could even swap it with uh, with with kind of blue. That's I think it was like thirty nine. Mm-hmm. Um, wow. You know, so I I would say this this has probably done more for the jazz genre than that, mm-hmm. you know, in my opinion. But but other than that, you know, it's I I think it's it's a fine spot for it given everything else that's around it not many albums have a beer named after them on this list and that i feel like needs to bump, <laughs> yeah, bump it up a little <laughs> higher <laughs> yeah, that's good Use now, that. I, I felt it, it's so i found it impressive that it was even this high i mean yes it's 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 a legendary jazz album but compared to everything else around it it sounds nothing like anything else yeah. around it even anywhere else on the list it's so different so i thought that was but but it definitely um you know, change the landscape of music for sure. It stretches me like Trout Mask Replica, the Captain Beefheart Oof. album did. Like, just like, <laughs> it is so unlike anything else that is on this list that it just jolts you when you hear it. I think I enjoy this one and I can have this one on in the background a whole lot easier than I could Trout Mask Replica. Um, but it it's avant-garde in that way that like, this is really going to make you uncomfortable if you're not familiar with this style of music. And uh I, I too find it surprising that enough people voted for it, supposedly, to, to have it wind up this high. Um, maybe I misunderstand just how powerful the jazz world is and um, how many people will continue to be influenced by um, experimental jazz like this. I'm, I'm just surprised you compared Miles Davis to Captain Beefheart. I think there's uh, <laughs> some. <laughs> 
<laughs> some some jazz enthusiasts are gonna are gonna come to your house with torches. All right, let's just think um, about it. If you have this music on, start talking slowly with a gravelly voice. It won't be that <laughs> Fair enough. Um, uh, any any closing before we get and get to the end of our time here, Nick? Any kind of closing comments on the the album or anything else there? No, no. I I appreciate you guys having me on and it's funny the way it works out to kind of yeah. make things cross like this i'd love That's to sit great. down and have a beer in person with both of you one oh, of these be great um, yeah. i will put in a plug i sent something to ben just an email since i'm a big dogfish head nerd uh sam who is the brewer you know founder and you know head brewer formerly anyway of dogfish head he had a series on the Discovery Channel way back in the day called Brewmasters, and one of the episodes was on this beer. And oh wow! It, it's very—it's an in-depth dive of how they got involved with making it and their partnership with Sony for the re-release of the album. And there's some interviews cool. in there with uh, Miles's family and a couple of the guys that played on the album. So wow, it's—it's it's a cool episode if you really want to get in the weeds on on yeah. the the marriage between the beer and the album. It really is. That's fantastic. Nick, uh, we can't say enough. Uh, other people can send us free beer, uh, but this is a first to, to get beer uh, given to us specifically for a Sound Logic podcast episode. It means an awful lot, and it means a lot that you take the time to be here with us on the podcast as well. Thanks so much. Absolutely. Thank you, gentlemen. Appreciate it. Cheers. Cheers. Cheers, uh, Nick. Thanks again. We, uh, we don't have any more Miles Davis on the list. We used to have an album called Sketches of Spain from 1960. It was on the first iterations and has fallen off of this 2020 list. Um, so this is it, I guess, for Miles Davis, at least, at least for now. Um, Mike, what do we got coming up next? Well, next we've got album number 88, which is Hunky Dory by David Bowie. We... We certainly hope you'll join us for that one. Another interesting yeah. album. Until we then, just keep pivoting genres. <laughs> yes. Uh, th thank you, Nick, again for joining yeah. us. We really appreciate it, and thank you, uh, thank you, Ben, and for all you listening at home. We hope you continue to be well. Take care of yourselves and those around you, and of course, we hope you'll join us again right here at Sound Logic Podcast. Thanks, everyone. Thanks, Nick. Appreciate it. If you like what you hear, subscribe on your favorite podcast app and write a review. Send us a message at our Facebook page, on Instagram, or through our SoundLogic Podcast Twitter feed. Thanks for listening.